their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize with water for repentance. But one who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Thank you for standing. Feel free to sit. John the Baptist. We read about his birth in Luke 1. In Luke 1, his father Zacharias was a priest. He was now an old man. Neither he, he is old, his wife is old, and they have not been able to have children. And the Bible tells us as Zacharias is burning incense in the temple, the Bible tells us an angel of the Lord appears to him. And says, Zacharias, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been heard and you will bear a son or your wife will bear a son. Named John. And he will be a prophet. And he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the parents. Later in that chapter, in Luke 1... The Bible tells us that John was born. And many of the people started calling him Zechariah after the name of his father. But when they were calling him Zechariah, his mother says, no, his name is John. Because the angel had revealed to her husband in the temple that his name was to be John. She said, no, his name is John. Zacharias has been unable to talk since that day because he did not believe the words of the angel, did not believe the promise of God, that God would give him a son. And so they made signs to Zacharias and said, what is his name? Zacharias takes a tablet and says, his name is John. And immediately when he says his name is John, his tongue is loose. And he's able to speak. And he speaks in praise of God. And all those ask, what kind of child is this going to be? All these events that surround his birth. All these events that surround his coming into the world. What kind of child will he be? And I would suggest to you that everything that is said about John the Baptist, everything that highlights his greatness, only helps us understand more the greatness of the one to whom he pointed. Because John, in a certain way, though he is preeminently important, he is insignificant. He is important in the sense he calls attention to the one who is of unlimited importance. The one who is the greatest character in all of history. He, in a way, is just a voice. He's just the voice that announces the coming of the great king. But let's see what the text tells us. The Bible tells us in those days... John came preaching in those days. It's pretty indefinite, isn't it? There's been about a 30-year gap 
between the end of Matthew 2 and the opening of Matthew 3. But I would say that that phrase, in those days, is more than just an indefinite statement. In the Old Testament, often that statement is to introduce days of messianic expectation. In those days, you see it in the prophet Zechariah quite frequently. But the book of Luke gives us a concrete, historical, and chronological statement. As a matter of fact, Luke 3, 1 and 2 is the most detailed chronological statement in the New Testament to place the beginning of John the Baptist. It was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor, when Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. And it goes on, continuing in verses 1 and 2, of all the historical circumstance. But John came in the wilderness of Judea. A lot of important experiences happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And here is John suddenly in the wilderness, Preaching this message, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The the phrase kingdom of heaven used about 33 times in the gospel of Matthew and only in the gospel of Matthew. But repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus will preach the same message if you look over a page in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Repent. And the Bible says that John, John not only is a prophet, a prophet who points to Jesus, but John is also the subject of prophecy himself. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. When kings made journeys in the ancient world, they had to make them over rough roads. Roads were very limited before the Roman period. And often if a king made a journey, there were trees that had to be cut down. There were obstacles that had to be removed. There were valleys that had to be filled in. Isaiah 40 verse 3 is talking about God leading his people back from Babylonian captivity. And God is telling the people, pave the road, remove the obstacles, because I'm coming back to lead my people out of captivity. But in this particular place, we find that the ultimate fulfillment of this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist preparing the road, making the way possible for the great king to come back. Which, by the way, is a profound argument for the deity of Christ. Because in Isaiah 40 verse 3, it is God, the Lord, for whom the road is prepared. And in this passage, the road is prepared for Jesus. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And the Bible tells us that John is in the wilderness wearing a garment of camel's hair. And a leather belt was about his waist. And he is eating locusts and wild honey. Now all of that is interesting information. But why in the world are we told about his clothing and his diet? You remember there was a king of Israel by the name of Ahaziah. Who sent out messengers... To Baal, the God of Ekron, asking, shall I recover from my sickness? But there was a man that met those messengers and said, you just go back to King Ahaziah. And you tell him that he's going to die. The messengers go back. The king says, you haven't had time to get to Ekron and to come back. Why are you back so soon? Soon, He said, we met a man who told us that you were going to die. And said, what did he look like? And he said, he was a hairy man who wore a leather belt about his waist. And immediately, he knows this is a lie. 
Why did we sing the song the days of Elijah just a moment ago? Because John is portrayed as a new Elijah. He, his dress even looks like Elijah in 2 Kings 1.8. In Zechariah 13 verse 4, apparently it was the nature of prophets to put on hairy garments. He is dressed for the part. He is wearing a garment of camel's hair, has a leather belt about his waist, and his food is locusts. And wild honey, locusts, believe it or not, were clean according to the law in Leviticus 11, verses 21 and 22. And I think the only insect that was considered as clean. Remember later Jesus said, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who dress in soft clothing are in the king's palace. That's not what John was. The reason we're told about his clothing and about his diet is because everything that he is doing is connected with his message. It's all connected with his message. His lifestyle and his preaching is a call to repentance. And some people were later to say of John, he has a demon. Now let me ask you something. If John were to come back today and to be interviewed about his preaching, And placed on television for all to see. Would we be embarrassed by him? Would we be too embarrassed by this man who seems half crazy, dressed in bizarre clothing, and living a strange way, calling people to repentance? Preachers usually go to people. The people came out to John. Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan, they were coming to him. They were coming to him. They were following him. They were attracted to his message. Large crowds followed him. And he was preaching A baptism of repentance, it's later called, in verse 11. And those who listened to his message, those who accepted his words, were being baptized. Those who listened to his message were being baptized and they confessed their sins. Now Mark 1, 4 and Luke 3, 3 and 4 specifically tell us that he was baptizing for remission of sins. Matthew doesn't tell us that. But it says those who were baptized confessed their sin. And so as they come and John preaches to them to repent, apparently many of them are turning from their wrongs and turning from their wickedness. And they are repenting. But there are some who come to listen to John who are not perhaps coming to be baptized by him. But they are coming out to inspect him. And they are, in verse 7, the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees are mentioned only once in the Gospel of Mark, only once in the Gospel of Luke. But they're mentioned seven times in the Gospel of Matthew. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, the wording is a little different. In verse 6, it says they were being baptized by him. But the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming for baptism. Maybe they were just coming to see what he's doing. Coming to see. Coming to investigate. That's certainly the impression that John 1 verses 19 through 24, 28 presents. They're coming to investigate. And John preaches to them directly. And he says, you brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. A phrase that's also used twice by Jesus 
in the Gospel of Matthew. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And by the way, later in Matthew's Gospel, we will find that Jesus asked the baptism of John to come heaven or from men. And the text tells us that they were afraid to answer. Because if they answered, it's from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? They did not accept John's message. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But you see, even these vipers, even these snakes could be saved. And he calls on them in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show that you have repented from your wrong. And repent, a strong word will deal with more extensively. But when he says, do not say we have Abraham for our father, I think he is showing the basis on which some of these people felt security and felt they were right with God. We are from the line of Abraham. We have Abraham for our father. That was their ground of security. And Jesus said, God is able from these souls to raise up children to Abraham. You remember in Luke chapter 16, Lazarus and the rich man? Have you looked at how often in that passage, Abraham is spoken of as father? The rich man who is lost constantly calls Abraham, Father Abraham. And Abraham says to him, child or son. Remember, you in your life receive good things and Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted. And you are tormented. I think one of the points of that passage may be to show these people not to rest their spiritual security. And in fact, Abraham is a father. For here is one of his that has Abraham as his father. But just like some of those that you would expect to be the first ones to receive the message of John didn't. Some of those that you would expect to reject the message listened. In a section that's only in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 3, in verse 10, the crowds were questioning, what shall we do? In verse 12, tax collectors came to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? In verse 14, some soldiers were questioning him and saying, and what shall we do? The point is, some of the very groups of people like the tax collectors and soldiers that would have been outcast, they're listening to John's preaching, they're touched by his message, and they are led to repent, and they want to know what to do to change their lives. Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming not to listen, but to investigate. And to see who is this person as if he has to meet their qualifications. And John said, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is cast down and thrown into the fire. People were wondering, according to Luke 3.15, was this the Christ who was to become, what was to come? And he said, as for me, I baptize with water for repentance. But one who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. To wash someone's feet was a very lowly thing in the first century. As they walked from place to place in sandals and their feet were sweaty and their feet were dirty. 
And it was said that a Jewish disciple should do for his teacher everything that a slave would do for his master except to wash his feet. That was considered beneath the dignity of a disciple. And even for Hebrew slaves, they were not to wash the feet of their masters. And for this position, John says, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. Everything we've said and everything we could say about the greatness of John is only to enhance the greatness of Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand and he uses an illustration from the field of agriculture. And one that many of you have heard described often. But what they would do is have the grain before them and they would put in the pitchfork and they would throw the pitchfork up and the heavy pieces of grain, the good pieces of grain would fall and the light pieces of chaff would be blown away. And he says he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable A lot could be said of these words of John. Is his message relevant to today? Absolutely. Absolutely. His preaching is built on the assumption that the wrath of God is coming. It was a wrath that was coming before he was born, before Jesus was born. And he's warning the Pharisees and Sadducees, are you trying to flee the wrath to come? He speaks of judgment of fire in verse 12 and in verse 10. And I would say also in verse 11, though we didn't get into all the details of that particular passage. But he says the axe is already laid to the root of the tree and every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this wrath of God, which is described in several passages, there is a present wrath of God against sin. In Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, there is a present wrath against sin that's demonstrated daily. And there is a future wrath of God. In Romans 2 in verse 5. A day of the wrath and the revelation of God. This wrath was coming before John was born. Before Jesus was born. But the fact that John is sent to announce it is a sign of God's mercy. And he announces the greatest display of God's mercy. That the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. John is just a voice. Announcing, He is just one like running before the chariots of Absalom or Adonijah proclaiming that a great one is coming. That's what John is. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But the one that he is calling attention to, the one that this voice is speaking of and pointing to is the one who is coming after me. When the people were wondering, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? He points away from himself as he always did and to Jesus he said the one who is coming after me is mightier than I and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals he is greater than I am he is the one who is prophesied on every page of the Old Testament He is the one who will save his people from their sins John is preaching 
that you have done wrong and that you have sinned and the wrath of God is real. But there is a Savior who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. But there is an urgency. There is an urgency to make your life right with God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in verse 2. In verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 11, as for me, I baptize with water for repentance. We said that we would discuss repentance later. Repentance is not simply changing our lives. Repentance is not simply changing our minds. Repentance is changing our minds about sin that leads us to change our lives. Repentance is seeing that we're going in the wrong direction and turning around to go in the right direction. Repentance is recognizing we were following the broad path to destruction and we want to walk the narrow way to life. Repentance is that we have lived in rebellion to the King, the Messiah. And we're going to change our mind about Him and our deeds and change our life. Then we're going to follow Him. The one who is able to save His people from their sins. John preaches the urgency of repentance. Jesus preached that urgency of repentance. And Jesus used examples from Old Testament events to call people to repentance. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, in verses 41 and 42, he said, The men of Nineveh will stand in judgment against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. If people repented ever in the Old Testament time, if they repented of the preaching of Jonah, that is an argument that how much more so should we respond to the preaching of John and to the preaching of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. And I don't know how you are living, what your thoughts are and what your actions are. But I do want to tell you, there's an urgency to make your life right with God. There's an urgency. And there's always been. And John preaches that urgency. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. In verse 10, he says the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. I don't know how many of you will be able to identify with this. But I imagine some of you will. I can remember as a young man going to services one day. And sometimes I have to acknowledge when I was 10 to 12, just kind of happy to be there. Not really conscious of a whole lot that was said. But one day, and I wish the sermon was on fire, the preacher preached about the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow seed, and about some seed that fell on different types of soil. And I don't remember all he said, nor how he said it. But I remember there was not a noise as everyone was listening closely. And everyone was convicted, including 
one person that had gone there not expecting to be convicted. I can remember my father's response to that sermon. He said, how could anyone who's not a Christian listen to that and not obey the gospel? Little did he know when he said that. How convicted I could be by that message. But you know what I did? I said to myself, just put this statement in all. It'll go away. And it did go away. It did go away. And I am thankful for the mercy of God. It gave me another chance. Gave me many other chances. Because some some people never get that chance. But once. When Paul preached to Felix of righteousness and temperance and the judgment to come, Felix trembled. But he did like I did. Go away for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. You try to put it off and it will go away. But I want to tell you, the issues that this text is dealing with will never go away. The judgment is coming. The opportunity for salvation is coming. God in His mercy and grace has called us to repent, to be baptized for a mission of sins, to demonstrate by our lives we are changed. But I want to tell you, each of you must decide for yourself. Each of you. As verse 9 says, do not suppose we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. There is no collective security here. You will not be saved simply because you were a member of this congregation. Simply because of the family that you came from. You will be saved if you have turned away from sin and repented and you have submitted to the Messiah. That's what will lead to salvation. And if there are any of you. Who know what you must do. Who know you need to surrender to God's mercy and grace. And to be repent and be baptized. As John baptized these in the Jordan, we are ready to baptize you here today. We invite you to come as we stand and sing. Would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with Him within the narrow road? Would you have Him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let Him have His way with thee. His power can make you what you want to be. Follow at his call. 
Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you need never fall? Let him have his way with thee. Service labor always at your best. Let him have his way with thee. pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and thank you that we could assemble as your people to remember our Savior and his holy sacrifice. We thank you for the message and pray that we'll all contemplate our spiritual standing with you and strive to be better. As we depart and go our separate ways, we ask that you'll protect us and bring us back tonight and take care of us in every way. It's through your holy son that we pray. Amen. Amen.